You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, We've been going through the book of Matthew verse by verse, and today we're in Matthew chapter 24, so find your way there. Uh, The series that we've been in in the book of Matthew is Unexpected Messiah. We've been looking at Jesus and how he was not the Messiah everyone expected. He was very different. Matthew 24, he moves into prophecy, as I mentioned. And we're in a mini-series now in the book of Matthew that we've titled The Eleventh Hour. The 11th hour, the coming of King Jesus. Jesus is coming back to rule and reign on earth. And in Matthew 24, he gives us some insights into that. And the title of the message today is very much germane to the text. It's terrifying times for planet earth. So we're going to be looking at a, a, you know, a a section of scripture that is, uh, uh, well, it's it flat out, it's daunting, right? So, uh, as I said, be ready. Uh, but Jesus' care for us is spectacular. Uh, I want to illustrate that for you and what he's doing right here. Uh, when my daughter was little, uh, well, let me, my daughter loves amusement parks. Uh, she grew up with three brothers, so she was kind of a tomboy growing up, and uh, she just grew up loving adventure, right? And she loves amusement parks. And when she was little, I would used to take her to the different amusement parks, and I remember one time we were at Knott's Berry Farm, and we're there, and you know, all the rides are loops and spins and backflips and, you know, just crazy stuff, you know, uh, 70 miles an hour around a corner while you're upside down. And, and when you're standing in line and you hear the roller coasters and everything, it's like, you know, it's a bit intimidating. And everybody's screaming, ah, you know, as they go around the things. And my daughter, even though she loved it, she was terrified in line. She'd get scared in line. And so I would do something when she would start getting scared, you know, she's like, you could see it, and I would say, hey, baby, come on, come, come on a walk with me. And I would leave my wife or my boys in line, and I would take my daughter Mariah to the end of the roller coaster where everybody's getting off. And when they're getting off, they're going, yeah, that was amazing. That was so much fun. And she could see the end of the roller coaster where everybody makes it, Nobody was decapitated, and it all turns out okay. And what would happen? She would come back into line, and she would be at peace waiting to get on the ride, right? Well, Jesus is a good God. He's a good Father, and he does that for us here. He says, hey, there's some things that are coming, terrifying times for planet Earth. And I want to show you these things because I want to take you to the end of the line so that when you see it, you'll understand and you'll realize I know what I'm doing and this all works out good in the very end. 
And so uh, that's his plan for us. That's where we're going today. And in Matthew 24, Jesus is really loving us, really caring for us, really making us secure by showing us what's going to happen at the end of the age. Yes, it's terrifying times for planet Earth, but it's all for a good purpose. And to kind of set the stage of where we were last week, for those of you who are just uh, weren't here last week, um, here's what's happening. Uh, Jesus is going to the cross in just a couple of days. It's Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, and Jesus is going to the cross on Friday. And he knows it, but the disciples don't. So he has spent time teaching them, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise again. And he says, it's good for you that this happens. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to fill you uh, with, with the, indwell in you. He's going to be with you. He's going to lead, guide, and direct you into all truth. He prepares them for this. But he also has to prepare them uh, for what's coming in the world. And so uh, they take Jesus and uh, uh, they, they spent his time on the Temple Mount. He goes into the Mount of Olives and there in the Mount of Olives you can overlook the Temple Mount and they say, Jesus, uh, this is Matthew 24 verse 1. He says, do you see the temple and the buildings and, and all the power of Israel's religious system. I mean, just it's amazing. The temple was one of the wonders of the world. It was glorious. And, and Jesus says, I tell you the truth, take a look at all of it because all of it's going to be destroyed. Not one stone will be left upon another. And the disciples were shocked. And they thought, how could this possibly be? And their only conclusion would be, in order for that to happen, the end of the world would have to happen. So they asked Jesus a question in verse 2, excuse me, in verse verse 3, they say, Jesus, what's going to be the sign of the end of the world? What's going to be the sign of your coming? What's going to be the the sign of all this happening? In their mind, the only way this could happen would be the end of the world. And Jesus says, hey, be careful, verse 4 through 6, don't be deceived, don't be duped. For all kinds of things are going to happen. There's going to be wars and rumor of wars. There's going to be problems here and there. But the end is not yet. Don't put tinfoil on your head. We looked at last week. Don't just, the end is not yet. All these things have to happen. Jesus is saying, no, the end is not coming, guys. It's not coming right away. That's not, not it at all. He says, but there will be labor pains that come before the end of the, end of the age. And the actual word in Greek is labor pains. He said, hey, the end of the world will come like labor pains. There will be wars. There will be famines. uh, There will be pestilences. Coronavirus, ever heard of it? Uh, There will be natural disasters. There will be earthquakes. And all of these things are the beginning of birth pains or labor pains. And what he meant was they will increase in frequency And they will increase in intensity just like labor pains. And last week, we put charts up of all the things Jesus mentioned. And all of them have an exponential chart. For 2,000 years, it's been like this. And right now, they're like this. Which means these things are the beginning of the labor pains of the tribulation period. And uh, so... uh, uh, we see, we kind of get an idea, Jesus telling us. And now, next, Jesus is going to give us an overview of the end of the age. 
The Bible teaches that there is a time coming that's going to be an end of this present age. Uh, it's called the tribulation period. And Jesus uh, today is going to teach us about that. He's going to give us an overview of it. And that's where we'll pick up in verse 9. If you're there, Matthew 24, verse 9, put your finger on the verse. Give me your eyes up here and give me a big amen so I know you're there in your Bible. Amen. Wonderful. Way to go. Verse 8 says, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. The word in the Greek is labor pains. Okay? All these things are the beginning of labor pains. After the labor pains, here's what it's going to give birth to. Uh, verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to what? Tribulation. tribulation. It's called the tribulation period. The last seven years on planet earth uh, of this age. Uh, uh, the, the age as we know it. They will deliver you up to tribulation. And they will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. First thing we have to understand is who is the you? Because these are bad things, right? Uh, they will deliver you up to tribulation. Who's the you? Well, if we look at it contextually, it's not hard to figure out who the you is. The subject at hand, verse 1, was the disciples took Jesus and they asked him as they were overlooking the whole Temple Mount, Israel's religious system, and they said, do you see all these things? And Jesus says, yeah, he's talking to you is the nation Israel and Israel's religious system. Uh, it's Jewish. It's Israel. This is what he's talking about. And he says, listen, they'll deliver you to tribulation. They will kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, right? And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. The period of the tri tribulation period will be marked by a period of hatred and cruelty and bitterness. And notice the adjectives that Jesus uses here. Many will be offended. Have you ever seen a more offended generation than our generation today? You tell somebody you have to have a boys and girls bathroom and they get what? Offended. How could you tell me? I mean, it's like we get offended over the most minute things now. We are an offended generation, and these are only the birth pangs. Can you imagine what the tribulation is going to be? The offenses have increased exponentially, just like birth pains, right? Many will be offended. Next one, many will what? Betray one another. A time of incredible betrayal. Again, only the birth pangs right now. The next one, and they'll hate one another. Look at verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and do what? Deceive, Deceive many. Do you know what I see in our generation like I have never seen? I see more propaganda deceiving people than I have seen at any other time in my lifetime and even in history with the exception of maybe Hitler's regime. An incredible amount of propaganda. Uh, we are being sold a bill of goods and it is getting impossible to get the truth. 
There is propaganda being delivered on every side. I would encourage you, if you haven't, read Fauci's emails. We were sold a bill of goods. And it's crazy. And I'm not trying to make a political statement. Don't get me wrong. Don't misread me. Don't jump to conclusions. All I'm saying is we, there are false prophets out right now. And they are increasing exponentially. It has been the hardest I've ever seen it to, in, in the United States history to get real truth. To get real news right now. Uh, absolutely crazy. Uh, there's going to be a false prophet. A singular false prophet who comes up. We're going to look at that in detail in just a minute. Uh, but these are the overviews. There's going to be a false prophet. He will rise up. Uh, they will rise up and deceive many. There's going to be a false prophet and he's going to have many false prophets and there's going to be a lot of fake prop propaganda and underline the word deceive they're going to deceive many. Question for you. Can you know when you're being deceived? How many of you think you can know when you're being deceived? How many think we can't know when you're being deceived? How many of you didn't vote? <laughs> you can't know you're being deceived. Because the moment you know, guess what you're not? You're not deceived. So the very nature of deception means you do not know what's happening to you. Pay attention. False propaganda will be so prevalent that people will be deceived by the masses and they will not know it, right? Uh, and then, verse 12, and because lawlessness will what? Abound. I read yesterday, murder in LA County is up 95%. It's doubled. Because lawlessness will abound, uh, that's what happens when you don't support our police, by the way. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Let's see if we can now begin to understand some of the depths of these passages as we look at some things here. I want you to know the Bible clearly teaches that our present and current world will grow increasingly corrupt and sinful and then it will come to sudden and catastrophic end. Uh, it'll come to a crashing halt. And the end of this present age as we know it is called the tribulation period. It's a seven-year period that is incredibly well documented in the Bible. It is the darkest time of all of human history by far. It will be seven years of evil that is unrestrained. Right now, God is holding back evil. He doesn't give it free will, I mean, uh, uh, free reign. He gives it uh, a little bit of license, but believe it or not, he puts boundaries on it. During the tribulation period, God removes those boundaries. And evil runs rampant. Uh, there is deceit. There is sin. It's a time of corruption like has never been seen. It's a time of genocide. It's a time of demonic activity. It's a time of famine and pestilence such as the world has never seen. The Bible tells us that in the last three and a half years of this tribulation period, 
over 2.7 billion people will die. I know it's hard to fathom how many people that is. Uh, That is a ton of people, and that's just in the last three years. The population in the United States is 330 million. 330 million. In order to get to 2.7 billion, every person in the United States would have to die over eight times to get to 2.7 billion. That's how distressing the tribulation period is. The tribulation period and the return of Jesus Christ is the most prophesied event in the entire Bible. The book that you're holding in your hands, the Bible, the Word of God, is an incredibly prophetic book. 25% of the book in your hands right now is prophetic, or was prophetic when it was written. 25%, that is one quarter of the book is prophetic. It gives incredible detail on its prophecies. They're not Nostradamus, nebulous, loose, could mean anything prophecies. They're very specific. And it sets a standard that is unrelated by any other piece of literature anywhere in the universe. As a matter of fact, the accuracy required for a Bible prophecy was so high that if someone said, thus saith the Lord, and God didn't say that, the punishment of that prophet was what? Death by stoning. So it has to be 100%. It was an incredibly high standard. And the Bible is, is, uh, has so much to say about the, the last seven years on the earth and the return of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, for every biblical prophecy about Jesus' first coming, by the way, how important of an event was Jesus' first coming? Huge, right? I mean, huge. The centerpiece of all humanity. For every prophecy of Jesus' first coming, there are eight. (laughs) I just thought, how do you do eight? There's eight. uh, Eight regarding the second coming and the tribulation period. Wow. You say, Pastor David, why are we studying this stuff on a Sunday morning? I'd like to know how to be a better husband. I get it. I totally get it. And we do a lot of studies on things that relate to everyday life. But this is important. It is prophesied eight times more than the first coming of, of Jesus. It's important that we know it in God's estimation. And so we want to pay attention. Uh, so we want to look at some things. What would be God's purpose? Why would he allow Why would he foreordain this tribulation period at the end of the age? Well, there are three major purposes that God has in mind for the tribulation period. And the first one is simply this, to complete God's plan for Israel. That is the purpose of the tribulation period. Uh, To end Israel's divine discipline that has been on them for rejecting the Messiah. And to fully restore Israel, both physically and spiritually. And once again, we see the pump is already being primed. Jesus cursed the fig tree. If you've been part of our studies over the previous weeks, Jesus cursed the fig tree 
on his last week of life. He had tried to minister to Israel for over three and a half years. He ministered to them and they would not receive him on Palm Sunday. He wept that they wouldn't receive him, that they didn't uh, recognize him as their Messiah. And he cursed the fig tree, a picture of Israel uh, for rejecting their Messiah. And from AD 70 until 1948, Israel was displaced throughout all the earth. Over 1.1 million Jews killed in the Roman Jewish War from 67 to 70 AD. And in 70 AD, the dispersion happened. And in the dysphoria, the Jews scattered throughout all of the earth. Here's what's amazing. Never before in the history of the world does this happen. The Jews scattered throughout all the earth, and yet they, they keep their distinct identity, their distinct heritage, and their language, even though they're dispersed throughout all the earth. Never happened. Never happened. You look at, you look at any culture that gets dispersed and sent to another culture, within two generations, they assimilate into the culture. Uh, I'm not being racist or anything. This is, just, this is just fact. You go down to Mira Mesa, and you look at all the Filipinos that are there in Mira Mesa, and they assimilate into culture. The parents will be first generations, and the kids, once they go to high school, they'll be more like, you know, just every, every other, other kid in high school, right? They just assimilate into culture. And in two generations, they lose a lot of their distinct identity. Israel did not. They were scattered throughout the entire world, not for two generations, but for nearly 2,000 years. And now God has gathered them back into the land on 1948 and is rebuilding them. But spiritually, they haven't been rebuilt yet. Spiritually, they're still blind and they don't recognize Jesus as their Messiah. All of this will happen in the tribulation period. God will complete his plan for the nation Israel. What's fascinating is that we read in the tribulation period, the Bible tells us something very interesting. It tells us that there is one nation that all the nations of the world will hate. And they will go to war with. And they will try to annihilate. What nation is that? Israel. Israel. Interesting. And already we see the, the pump is being primed for that. We see this Palestinian-Israel conflict. And there's a lot of people supporting who? Palestine. Palestine. How do you figure? It's crazy. The people that have... The Hamas has fired 4,000 rockets over the last 30 days into Israel and Israel defends themselves and everybody gets mad at Israel. The pump is being primed. Pray for our president and this administration that we would support Israel and not just Palestine and not Iran, right? I mean, pray, pray. Uh, God's going to complete his plan. Uh, uh, all nations are going to try to annihilate Israel, but I have good news. After the tribulation period, Israel will be, excuse me, Jerusalem will be the capital city of what? Of the entire world. The entire world. God is going to complete his plan for the nation Israel and it will come through the tribulation period. We'll look more on that in just a little bit. Uh, the second reason, uh, that's the first reason. The second reason that God would allow the tribulation period is, uh, is to pour out God's judgment and wrath upon man's unrepentant sin. 
upon man's willful rebellion against God. Hey, know this. God is slow to wrath, abounding in mercy, incredibly patient, but he does not wink at sin. He doesn't, he's not a benevolent grandfather that just says, well, that's okay, the kids peed the bed, but no big deal, right? <laughs> no, 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 he sets a standard, and he's gracious, he gives time for repentance, but God does judge sin. How much sin does God judge? Every sin God will judge. Every sin God will judge. And we have a choice. The judgment of sin can either be placed on Jesus' shoulders or on our own. The choice is whose? It's our own. You decide. And for a world that rejects Jesus, God pours out his wrath and judgment full strength in the tribulation period on a Christ-rejecting world. That is the second purpose of the tribulation period. Uh, the third purpose uh, of the uh, tribulation period, by the way, uh, before I go there, aren't you kind of glad that God is going to pour out his wrath on sin? Have you ever just been depressed at how the wicked prosper? Have you ever looked at it and say, God, just the world is so unfair. What the heck, man? Uh, you're not alone, by the way. Great men of the Bible in times past have thought the same thing. I mean, why is it that the drug dealer who just ruins lives becomes filthy rich? Why is it that those smuggling immigrants and, and killing people on the process make all kinds of money as they ruin lives and break the law? Why is it that the porn industry uh, brings in so much wealth? Its annual revenues are more than ABC or NBC or CBS or Netflix combined. That ought to stagger you. Some of the recent research uh, estimates that the porn industry is now producing $72 billion a year in revenue. Staggering. Staggering. Ruining lives. Why are they getting so rich? Or why are political leaders living in luxury? Why their people suffer? Kim Jong-un. Uh, why? Why? How is that? Where's God in that? It is estimated, by the way, I read an interesting article on Vladimir Putin. Uh, he is believed to be the richest human on the earth. His wealth being between five, 50 and $200 billion personally. Personally. Himself. Crazy. Why over 14% of Russia lives in abject poverty. God, why? 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 What does all this reveal? It reveals this, that man cannot govern himself. We are far too corrupt. 
And the tribulation period, it is the culmination of man's attempt to govern the earth. And it ends in sin, in death, in chaos, in war, in genocide, in utter destruction. And I tell you, history has repeatedly proven that man cannot govern himself. We need a righteous king to govern the earth. And that brings us into the third point of God's purpose in the tribulation period. That is to bring an end to this evil age and to usher in the righteous reign of King Jesus. That's what this tribulation period will do. Hard times for planet earth for sure. But God judging sin, pouring out his wrath on it. And so that he might usher in the righteous reign of King Jesus. The Bible teaches that this reign of King Jesus after the tribulation period, it's called the millennial kingdom. He will reign literally for a thousand years. Jesus will be the king of the world and amazing prophecies about this millennial reign. The earth will be restored. The lion will lie with the lamb. Right now, the animal kingdom is cruel. Uh, there will be a change. All animals will become herbivores. Uh, the lion will lie, lie with the lamb. Uh, you know, the, just the, the prophecies about it are amazing. The Dead Sea, nothing can, it'll be turned into a freshwater sea teeming with life. The desert will blossom like a rose. Already happening in Israel, by the way. Areas that were desert are now uh, the leading producer of flowers and vegetables. I mean, just amazing, right? Already happening. Uh, again, the, the pump is being primed, but it's going to happen supernaturally during the millennial reign. Uh, there'll be uh, no more poverty, no more hunger, no more war, no more crime, no more drugs, no more sex trafficking, no more terrorism, and get this, no more death during the millennial reign. Uh, people will, will not die during the millennial reign. They'll live to a thousand years. Uh, and righteousness will reign on the earth under King Jesus. And so when, how does this happen? And we see the, the pump being primed. We see the labor pains increasing. How does it happen? Well, the Bible teaches that the first thing that's going to happen is that the tribulation period will begin when someone by the name of the Antichrist comes onto the scene. And this Antichrist will make a peace treaty with Israel and the Muslim nations, bringing peace on the earth. And when he comes onto the scene, that will be the beginning of the final seven-year period of this age on the earth. The Bible says there's going to be a powerful, charismatic leader who comes onto the scene very quickly and rises into world power as a world leader. And he's called the Antichrist. He will be dazzling. He will be spectacular. Uh, we think of the Antichrist and we think of Freddy Krueger, you know, like horns and ee, 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 ee. he's going to come with a knife and a hockey mask, right? And that's how he's going to, no, 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 no. You have the wrong idea. Antichrist means instead of Christ. He's going to come instead of Christ. Jesus when he rode in on, on Palm Sunday and uh, he wept, Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name 
and you did not receive me. There's another coming in his own name, and him you will receive. He's going to come as a charismatic, great orator, just incredibly gifted. I mean, people are going to love him. They're going to go bananas over him. The world is going to be enamored with him. He's going to be dazzling. And you say, Dave, that's crazy. I don't believe it. How could that ever happen? How could that ever happen? Well, he's going to have outstanding charm and incredible oratory skills. I mean, he'll be able to sell ice to an Eskimo. I mean, he's going to be amazing. Well, how? How? Well, very interestingly, the Bible tells us that the Antichrist will actually be possessed by Satan. In the history of the world, there is only one man who has ever been possessed by Satan. A lot of demon possession. No one has been possessed by Satan except one man. That was Judas who betrayed Jesus. Satan had a job that was so important to him, so big for him, he wouldn't trust any of his demons to do it. He personally possessed Judas. And the Bible says that the next person that he possesses will be the Antichrist. Here's a verse for you that gives some great insight on this. This is Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. Um, let me hear you read this. Uh, the context of it, by the way, is about the Antichrist that's coming. You can read chapter 13 in detail. Um, now, read this with me, if you will. Now, the beast, the Antichrist, which I saw, was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Uh, the dragon, no speculation who that is. Chapter 12 tells us clearly. Chapter 13 also tells us clearly that dragon is Satan. And here, the beast is the Antichrist. We see the dragon is going to indwell in him. He's going to give him his power, his throne, and his great authority. By the way, Satan, uh, his original name was what? Lucifer. Lucifer means the illuminated one. He was incredibly attractive, incredibly gifted, incredibly winsome, an amazing orator, gifted in all of his ways, so much so that he was able to deceive a third of heaven, a third of the angels, and get them to rebel against God and to follow him. He did it through charm and beauty. And he's going to come to the earth and he's going to give this charm and beauty to a man. And the Bible describes this man in this verse with some interesting uh, uh, imagery. And this imagery of a leopard, a bear, and a lion is not random. This imagery comes from the Bible. It comes from a prophecy given to the prophet Daniel who lived 550 years before Jesus in Daniel chapter 7. By the way, the book of Revelation is written in a way that it assumes you know your Bible. The majority of the book of Revelation, the majority of it is quotes from the Old Testament. Two-thirds of the book of Revelation is quotes from the Old Testament. If you don't know your Old Testament, guess what's going to happen when you read Revelation? Whew, right over your head. You won't know it. And this is a classic example of it. 
It's God's way of hiding these things from the wise and revealing them to his own kids. You have to know your Bible to know the book of Revelation. And this verse gives us great detail. This beast, the Antichrist, he's going to be possessed by Satan, it says. The dragon's going to give him his power, throne, and authority, right? But also, he gives us some interesting attributes about it. He's going to be like, he's going to have the mouth of a lion. What does that mean? Well, in this prophecy that Daniel gave in Daniel chapter 7, he gave a prophecy of these coming world empires that were going to rule the world. Not local leaders, world leaders that were going to rule the world. One of them was Nebuchadnezzar, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar, he ruled from 612 to 562 BC. And he was pictured as a lion. If you know anything about history, you know the... the um, uh, the mascot that Israel used, the emblem that, excuse me, Israel, the, the emblem that Babylon used was a lion. You go, to, you go to Vegas and you see the great lion, that's the lion from Babylon, that's what that is. That was their icon, right? And it speaks of just the, the king of the jungle, right? He's like total power. That was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the most sovereign world leader the world has ever seen. He didn't have a Congress. He didn't have a board. He didn't have a parliament. What he said went. His word was rule. And he ruled with great authority. He had massive military conquest and huge building campaigns. Uh, he had some of the seven wonders in the world, the hanging, the hanging gardens of Babylon. I mean, it was, he was a genius, and he was a master world leader. And this, uh, bi the Bible says when the Antichrist comes, he's going to speak like the lion, like he's going to have the sovereign authority that Nebuchadnezzar had. He's going to have feet like a bear. Who, what was the bear? Well, Daniel prophesied it was the Medo-Persian Empire that came and conquered Babylon. And they did so in uh, 539 BC under Cyrus the Great. What was the, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire? What were they known for? They were known as a big stumbling bear because their armies, when they came in, they took everybody with them. When an army came through, they were just slow and stumbling and they conquered everything slowly. And when they came, they took the whole, all the guys and everything with them and they just became part of the army. They were slow and stumbling, but they just conquered everything. And uh, Cyrus the Great on the Medo-Persian Empire, conquering Babylon, went on to establish one of the largest empires in the world. The next beast that he mentions here is like the leopard. The leopard, uh, who was that a reference to? That was a reference to Alexander the Great, who came after the Medo-Persian Empire and conquered the entire world in only three years. He was 29 years old, and he got incredibly depressed. Why? All you history buffs, why? Why was he depressed? There was nothing left to conquer. And he became an alcoholic. He drank profusely. He passed out drunk in a, in a storm, slept out in the rain, caught pneumonia, and died at 33 years old age, depressed because he had nothing left to conquer.
Alexander the Great, uh, uh, the greatest military genius the world has ever seen. He changed the course of history and only three years, like I said, conquered the whole world. His influence and, per, and, and ability to conquer the whole world is how we got our Hel Hellenistic, our Grecian influence. That's why Rome was so in, uh, influenced by Greek culture and the world today and our language and everything by Greek, because of him, right? And he was pictured as what? What did Daniel picture him as? A leopard. What is a leopard? The fastest animal on the earth. Conquer the whole world in three years. And you say, Dave, what's your point? Here's the point. Here's what Revelation is telling us. This Antichrist will be incredibly charming. He'll have the authority, throne, and, and power of Satan himself. And he will come on. He will be a composite of all these world leaders in one. He will speak with absolute authority like Nebuchadnezzar did. He won't need a board or Congress or anybody else's approval. What he says will go. He'll be all-powerful like the Medo-Persian Empire or the bear. He'll just conquer everything. And you think Alexander did it fast. That was only a preview. He'll conquer the entire world virtually overnight without a war. He'll do it all with his great oratory skills. What a picture in one verse, right? What a picture. The depth of the Bible is unbelievable. And so uh, this Antichrist is a world leader who's possessed by Satan. But now that brings us to our next question as we try to logically think about all this and really understand God's plan. Why would Satan do that? Why would Satan indwell in a man? I mean, what the heck? Why? Why? Well, the Bible gives us the answer to that, pro that question. And the reason is, this might surprise some of you, this might startle some of you. The reason is, is because Satan gets kicked out of heaven. Right now, he's ruling and reigning his evil empire from the heavenlies. The book of Job gives us great detail on this. Satan has to get approval for God on everything. And he checks into God regularly. The book of Job, Satan appears before Job. And God says, hey, Satan, give him a report. What have you been doing? Satan says, I've been going to and fro to the earth and back. I've been ordering all my dominions and my demons and my ranks. The Bible calls them principalities and powers. They actually have territories, just like we have principalities and powers that control our power system and everything. Well, in the, in the spirit world, it's the same thing. And Satan controls it from heaven. Revelation 12 tells us something very interesting. Flip over there, if you will. Revelation chapter 12. Save your spot in Matthew. We're coming right back. Revelation 12. Find it quickly for me, if you will. Last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12. And then put your finger on verse 7. And look up here when you're there so I can know when you're there. All right, that's both. Give me a big amen if you're there. Amen. All right, Revelation 12, 7. Look at this. And a war broke out where? In heaven. in heaven. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. Uh, the dragon is Satan, we're going to see in just a minute. So Michael and his angels fight against Satan and his angels. And where's this war taking place? In heaven, it says. Verse, verse 8. But they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. 
Interesting. Underline that. No place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Serpent of old? What do you mean of old? Yeah, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to the beginning of time, that Satan was cast out. He is the one who deceives the whole world, it says. The whole world is under his sway of deception. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Fascinating. This has not happened yet. This has not happened yet. This is something that's going to happen in the future. And he's cast out from heaven. Look what he says. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down to the earth. What does it say about Satan? It says he does two things. He's the deceiver of the whole world and he's the accuser of who? Of you. He comes and he accuses you, it says, day and night. You're not any good. Look what you just did. You're worthless. I can't believe you did that. He gets us to sin and to do something selfish and arrogant and, and, and wrong. And then he condemns us for it and makes us feel like we're horrible. And because we feel like we're horrible, do you know what we do? He comes and says, look what how bad. You're like yourself. You're worthless. You're not good for anything. Why don't you just eat junk and die? Uh, yeah. Why don't you just why don't you just throw in the towel? You're worthless. And you know what we do? We hear it and we're deceived. And we try to then try harder and we try to put on a good front like we're really a good person, like we're really valuable and it's all a front and we're trying to overcome for what he's accusing us for. And when we try to put on a front, we then go out and we boast and we brag or we sleep with someone or do something or just something ridiculous and then he comes and he accuses all the more and it's a vortex that just leads us down here's the truth you are valuable not because of anything you did but because of him who created you and set his value upon you he made you god made you on purpose he endowed you with certain gifts and abilities he created you with certain liabilities and and weaknesses so that you would be dependent upon him and enter into a relationship with him and understand his divine forgiveness and grace that flows freely into your life so that you might walk with him and be gracious to others and allow that same grace that he gives you to pour and to pour out and to bless your children and your family and your wives and your husbands and your neighbors and, and you'll just be a gracious kind person and God will build you and elevate you and you become uh, just an amazing light of his love and grace and your value is all in what he has done for you not in anything that you do for yourself but he would like to deceive us of that and accuse us of that day and night. And so look what they say. Verse 10, they shout in heaven, woohoo, man, we're thrilled. Uh, the accuser of our brethren has been cast out. Uh, they're, they're stoked, right? Uh, look at verse 11. 
And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony and that they did not love their lives to the death. Yeah, this is what happens. He's been, he's been cast to the earth and now for during the tribulation period, the only way to overcome is by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they're going to have to give their lives in death because they're going to be killed in this tribulation period. More on that in just a little bit. Therefore, look what he says, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens. Woohoo! Celebrate you who dwell in them. But look at this, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And woe to the inhabitants of the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath. Why? Because he knows his time is what? Short. short. How short? Seven years. Seven years short. When this happens, when Satan is cast out and sent to the earth, there are only seven years left uh, of this current world system. And he comes down in a full rage, knowing his time is short. So why would Satan come down and do that? Here's why. Because he's kicked out of heaven and he's sent to the earth. And the Antichrist is literally Satan in a human body. So now we have to look at, let's put our thinking cap on. What then is Satan's goal? What is the Antichrist's goal? What does he want to accomplish in the tribulation period? He's cast out of heaven. He comes to the earth. He has an agenda. He has a goal. What is it? We need to know what it is. It's two things. Number one, he wants to be worshipped as God. Number two, he wants to annihilate and completely wipe out every Jew and Israel. These are his goals. This is what he wants to do. And we'll look at these individually. Let's look at the first one. He wants to be worshipped as God. You say, how do you know that? Well, it's, it's, it's been that way since the beginning of the earth. Satan has long desired to be worshipped as God. The reason that he deceived Adam and Eve is because he wanted to be the king of Adam and Eve's life, not God. And the Bible tells us this very clearly, repeatedly. I have a verse for you on your screens that I want to show you. Uh, Isaiah chapter 14. Uh, it's going to be a longer passage, so be ready for that. Let's read it together. It's speaking about how Satan wants to be worshipped as God. Okay? Uh, read with me if you will. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Let's stop there. Lucifer, illuminated one. The one that was created to dwell in the presence of God. He was the anointed cherub that covered the most holy place in heaven. He had an incredibly high role. He was incredibly gifted with all kinds of charisma and gifts and talents. He, was, he had a musical gift that was like no other. Uh, many believe that he led heaven in worship. He was incredibly gifted. Oh, Lucifer, illuminated, illuminated one, son of the morning, the bright light of, the, you know, uh, uh, he was just incredibly gifted. How you are cut down to the ground, you who did what? Weaken the nations, the sway over the world. Let's read the rest of the verse. For you have said in your heart, read this with me, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Let's stop there. I will exalt my throne. Excuse me? 
No, 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 Satan, you do not have a throne. There is only one throne. God is on the throne. No, he wants to be worshipped as God. I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. Stars of heaven, all the angel, the angelic host, myriads of angels. Uh, the Bible tells us, Revelation 12 tells us, he deceived one third of them and they became demons. I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. Read this with me. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. What does that mean? What does he say he will do? I will sit on the mount of the congregation. Two kinds of leaders in the world, by the way. Pay attention, businessmen. Two kinds of leaders. One who tries to sit on top of the people he leads and the other who tries to build up the people he leads. Satan says, I want to sit on top of the people. I want to sit on the mount of the congregation. I just want to use people and get as many people under me to elevate me. How high? To the farthest sides of the north, as high as I can get. Jesus is a leader who builds people. And Jesus said, you want to be great in the kingdom? Learn how to be the biggest builder of people. Learn how to be the servant of all. That's what real greatness is. We see what kind of leader Satan is. Let's go on. Let's see the rest of the verse. 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Wow. How many I wills did he say? I will, I will, I will, I will. Ultimately, here's what he's after. I will be like, I want to be worshipped as God. And he deceived a third of the angels and got them to follow him instead of following God. Crazy. And here's what God says about him. You shall be brought down to Sheol. Sheol is the grave. And then ultimately to the lowest depths of the pit. That's hell. Uh, uh, <clears throat> this is still yet to come um, fascinating scripture Satan has long desired to be worshipped as God so now that leads us to the next question that we have to think if we have our thinking caps on if we're really pondering these things how does being the antichrist help Satan get worshipped as God interesting way to go about it. He wants two things. He wants to be worshipped as God. He wants to annihilate Israel. Right now we're focused on him being worshipped. How does being the Antichrist help him get worshipped as God? Well, the Bible says something very interesting about him. The Antichrist does not come onto the scene, as I mentioned, as a ugly Freddy Krueger with a hockey mask on, right? Like, ah! No. He comes onto the scene with all kinds of charm and charisma. And do you know the very first thing that he does? What's the very first thing he does when he comes onto the scene? The Bible tells us, guess what he does? He unites all the religions of the world as one. He says, hey, whatever religion you want to have, it's all good. You want to be an, a Muslim? No problem. You want to be a Hindu? No problem. You want to follow Judaism? No problem. Any self-realization fellowship? No problem. Transcendental meditation? No problem. On and on I can go. You can get the idea. He invites, he invites them all to come together as one. Kumbaya. They're all spokes in the wheel leading to the same God. We're all worshiping the same God. Don't worry about our differences. We're all worshiping... 
were all drops of water in a giant sea. <laughs> right? I mean, no, nonsense. It's a lie. The Bible gives amazing imagery to describe this. I wish we had time to go there. We don't. But in Revelation chapter 17, uh, it talks about the incredible imagery. A harlot that rides on a beast. Or in other words, a harlot who is piggyback on a beast. The beast is the Antichrist. And a harlot is a harlot. Have a question for you. Who will a harlot sleep with? Anyone who has what? Money. In other words, a harlot will sleep with anyone for personal gain. This harlot is a picture of all the world religions coming together. And the Antichrist carries that where? On his back. The Bible says something very interesting though. Well, before I tell you that, here's what happens. He gets all the religions of the world and what does this do for him? It brings him into instant and overnight world power. He makes an agreement with the Jews and with the Arabs that no world leader has ever been able to make. He makes an agreement with them that allows the Jews and the Arabs to have peace. He brings a peace treaty together and they have peace. And guess what happens? The Arabs and the Jews are both worshiping on the Temple Mount. He allows the Arabs to start, excuse me, the Jews to start having animal sacrifices on the Temple Mount again. And uh, the book of Ezekiel tells us there'll be a wall right down the middle of the Temple Mount and the Dome of the Rock and the Allah's Mosque will be here. There'll be a wall down the center and there'll be a temple, well, an altar to God with a, a, rebuilt, a rebuilding of the temple uh, for the Jews and they'll be worshiping and sacrificing to Yahweh on the temple. Crazy. And the world will look at him and hail him as a leader. It brings him into world fame. It brings him into rock star status. And uh, uh, he has the power to do what no other world leader has ever done. By the way, very interesting little sidebar here. Once again, we see the pump already being primed. How many of you have heard of the Abraham Accords? Yeah? Uh, Jared Kushner, right, uh, he ushered in this deal under President Trump, and he's still working on it, by the way, Jared Kushner is, uh, and what's happening? Uh, these Arab nations are aligning with Israel. The United Arab Emirates, for the first time ever, has agreed that Jerusalem belongs to Israel. Wow, crazy. And now all these Arab nations are joining on. Baran has joined on. Oman, uh, Oman has joined on. Morocco has joined on. Egypt has joined on. And the Sudan has joined on. And Saudi Arabia is this close to joining on. All these nations joining in on these Abraham Accords, a peace treaty. 
the present king of Saudi Arabia, uh, King Solomon, is hesitant to join. He's on the fence, but his son is chomping at the bit to join on. And so what we're just seeing, the beginning of these things are already coming into place. So this Antichrist, he comes onto the scene and he, he does what no world leader could do. He brings peace together and it propels him into you know, just world fame, right? Just world fame. Jews and Muslims, both on the Temple Mount, all serving. And this pseudo peace that he brings in lasts for three and a half years. It propels him to world power like no other. And all the world looks at him and just goes, wow, he's amazing. And uh, he does something very interesting in the middle of the yeah, three and a half years into his reign. He sets up what is called, what the Bible calls, what Jesus just spoke of, what we read, an abomination that causes desolation. An abomination means something abominable to God. Desolation means utter destruction and death. He sets up an abomination that causes desolation. What is it? Well, he uses a false prophet, a false religious leader, and he sets up an image of himself, a statue, a giant statue of himself. And he places it in the temple of God. The newly rebuilt Jewish temple altar, whatever it is, makeshift altar that they're offering. Their, he places it on that spot and he proclaims himself to be God. Crazy, crazy. Do you remember I told you the harlot rides the beast, right? And the harlot is all these world systems and the beast is carrying that harlot on his back. Guess what Revelation tells us in chapter 17 about that harlot? The beast hates her. Why then does he carry her on his back? To propel himself into world power. She's a harlot. He'll just anything to propel himself. But he does something. The Bible says in the, at three and a half years, the beast devours the harlot and eats her completely. Pretty grotesque, right? Here's the picture. He turns against all these world religions and here's what he does. He says, hey, I know I told you we all worship the same God. I want you to know something. I am him. I am him. And he raises up a false prophet and gives him so much power that he's able to call fire down from heaven, do incredible miracles, so miracles so big that the statue even moves and speaks and says, he is God, this Antichrist. And all the world bows down and worships him. And at that point, he issues a mark, a mark of the beast that everyone cannot buy or sell unless they have this mark. And uh, all this happens in this tribulation period. Incredible stuff. Um, how much time do we have? Oh, gosh, we're out of time. Uh, <coughs> boy, they. Uh, am I crazy for teaching this on a Sunday or what? I can't keep going. We got kids and children's ministry. Uh, I can't help myself though, man. I can't help myself. <laughs> Are you still in Revelation? Yeah. Are you still at chapter 13? Yeah. Since you're all there, let's look at verse 11 real quick. <laughs> I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like who? 
Like a lamb. Horns are symbolic of power in the Bible. He had power like the lamb, but he spoke like the dragon. Another beast, not the, not the, not the Antichrist, his religious leader. He has power like Jesus, but he speaks like the devil. Wow. That's a dangerous combo. He exercises all authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, but only in his presence. He's always about the Antichrist, building him up. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, uh, whose violent wound was healed. There's a lot of depth in that I can't go into right now for time. Look at this. He performs signs, great signs, that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives, underline the word deceives. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs and miracles which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. I don't have time to go into that part of it. But, and he was granted to, he was granted power to give breath or to give life to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should speak and cause as many as would not worship, excuse me, and as many as would not worship the beast to be killed. This abomination of desolation, this image that he sets up, he causes all to worship it. Uh, and uh, what happens? Here's what happens. The Jews, when they realize that the Antichrist sets up this image and they're supposed to worship this image, the Jews know one thing. You're not supposed to make graven idols. And when that happens, they say no way and they won't worship the Antichrist. And guess what the Antichrist does at that time? He orders the death of every single Jew on the earth. He orders the death of every single Jew on the earth. And uh, uh, look at, come back to Matthew 24. We'll wrap up on these verses right here. Um, I promise. Are you back to Matthew 24? Amen. Hey, thank you for that. Are we back to Matthew 24? Yes. Look what he says, verse 9. They will deliver you up to tribulation and do what? Kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He's going to make all of the earth believe that Israel is the problem. The Bible tells us not one nation will stand with Israel at that time. Not one nation. The pump is already being primed. The United States, this new administration, already capitulating on the stand with Israel. Crazy. Just crazy. Look at verse 11. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Do you understand that more now? And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. During this whole time of the tribulation, God has 144,000 Jews who are inspired by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and are preaching the gospel. 
He's got three key messengers that are uh, using uh, all technology, airwaves and everything, uh, giving the whole world a message, telling them three different messages. Number one, repent. Judgment is coming. Number two, Jesus is the Lord of all. And number three, do not take the mark of the beast. Three powerful messages by three different individuals in addition to the 144,000. Uh, that's verse 14. Uh, therefore, verse 15 when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing where? In the, In the holy place, where the Jews are worshiping God at the temple. Uh, let him who reads understand. Jesus says, let them who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Why? Why? Because the Jews are, are going to be annihilated. Uh, World War II, how many Jews were, were, were killed at the Holocaust? Six million. Six is the number of imperfection in the Bible. It was only a preview of the coming movie. Six imperfection. There, there will be massive genocide of the Jews. Then the Jews, uh, those who are in the mountains should flee, excuse me, those who are in Jerusalem should flee to the mountains. Verse 17. Let him who is on the housetop not even go back and, and take anything out of his house. Verse 18. Let him who is on the field not go back and get his clothes. Why? Because if you go back to get your coat, you're going to be wiped out by the army of the, of the Antichrist. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. Pray there's not bad weather. Pray it's not on the Sabbath. Why? Because if it is, if you've got to push a stroller, you're not going to make it. You're going to get wiped out. Hard times for planet Earth. The Antichrist, his rule of death, killing every single Jew. Again, this is written to Jews. For then there will be, verse 24, great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time and nor shall ever be again. You think Mussolini was bad? You think Pol Pot was bad? You think Hitler was bad? It was nothing, Jesus says, compared to this. And look what he says, verse 22. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. How could that happen? How could that possibly happen? nuclear war no other way it wasn't even possible until our generation and again once again we see the pump is already being primed Iran is inches away from developing nuclear warheads and this administration is thinking about supporting them the pump is being primed all nations will go against Israel Iran has already publicly said what they want to do. They want to annihilate Israel off the face of the earth. That's their whole goal. The pump is already being primed. <clears throat> All the nations will turn against Israel. Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But look at this. But for what? The elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Who's the elect? No, not us. Who's the elect? Israel. Israel. What's God saying? He's saying, listen, I made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to David. I made an Abrahamic covenant. I made a Davidic covenant. And here is that covenant. I will give them a distinct nation, a homeland. That nation will be theirs for how long? Forever. No matter how bad they are, that land will be theirs. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And the Messiah will come and rule and reign physically and bodily from Jerusalem. 
and all the nations of the earth will come to gather and to worship the Messiah as he rules and reigns from Jerusalem. Jesus is not going to allow those days to be shortened because God keeps his promises. And now you see the reason the Antichrist comes. One, to wipe out. He wants, excuse me, one, he wants to be worshipped as God. The second reason, he wants to annihilate Israel. Why? Because if he can annihilate Israel, God's word cannot be trusted. God cannot be trusted. God's word has been broken. God's promises are of no value. And his, his end is different, right? That's why he hates the Jews. And this is the mystery of anti-Semitism in the world today. It's got a supernatural force behind it. Be wise, be wise, be wise. Jesus says, but for the elect's sake, because I keep my promises, because my word can be trusted, I will shorten those days and I will save Israel. Shall we stand? You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.